my joy to be back here. Matter of fact, at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere and know it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just glad to be here tonight and share this service with you this evening. And uh, your pastor and his wife and the family and the church here has been so gracious already uh, to me. And uh, your accommodations back here are wonderful and quiet and... Uh, Occasionally I'll hear life somewhere out there. I don't know where it is, but I'll hear a little bit, but it's not aggravating at all. And uh, I, I do want to remind you of, of a couple of things before I begin tonight. This series uh, that I'm preaching is out of this book called Still a Baptist, Neither Angry Nor Ashamed of It. And uh, I wrote the book uh, as, a, as a research, as a... Uh, legacy book to pass on to my family and the churches that I go to and uh, God's been so gracious to uh, open up a, a ministry of uh, preaching about this and I, I really it, it's sort of like the old maid's proposal it caught me by surprise and uh, I just didn't expect it and here I am the, this is number 25 and I already have uh, several more scheduled and uh, God's been really good, and I want to just thank you again, and I'll try to remember to do that tomorrow. I am trying to remember to do things now more than ever before, and uh, sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. Well, tonight we're going to be uh, looking for the body of Christ, and I want you to open a Bible tonight and participate with me in this message, what we're going to do in a moment is read out of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And as I read the passage, I want you to participate with me tonight. And what we're going to do tonight is, as I read the passage, is, are you looking and listening to? I know I can do that. While, you are, while I'm reading the passage, I want you to be looking at God's Word. And when we come across the word body... I want you to say that out loud with me. Every time we're reading, as we go through the passage, to sort of set the emphasis, if you might, with me tonight as we look into God's Word. Why don't we stand together? We, we don't always do that, but I like to do it when we can. And uh, this message lends itself to that. We're honoring God as we honor God's Word in standing. And so let's begin reading. Now we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 12 and going down through verse 27. And I'll kind of uh, get you set to read that last verse together. But let's begin to set our minds on God's Word and beginning in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. Ready? For as the is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one hath many are one, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the, is not there, is there, is it therefore not the? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the, is it therefore not of the? If the whole body were, excuse me, I'm sorry. I, I tell you, a preacher just gets carried away with the Bible, doesn't he? I'm sorry about that. I need to let you do it. Ready? Let's go back to verse 17. If the whole were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But God hath set the members, every one of them, in the as it hath pleased him. And if there were all one member, where were the? But now are they many members, yet but one? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. 
For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now let's read out loud verse number 27 together, beginning. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight that we've opened your word. I pray that we'll open our hearts to your spirit tonight as you teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When God came to the earth, he took a body. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is God. He took a body. And when He was on the earth, He limited some of His attributes. And during that time, He lived a perfect life, died a vicarious death, was buried and was raised to life, And uh, evidently the check passed the bank of heaven because he was resurrected. And he's going to come back one day. Well, before God left, he, uh, he also left on the earth a body. Before Jesus left the earth, he left a body to represent him. It was also a physical body. It was also a spiritual body, but nonetheless a physical body that would represent him. And that body is called the body of Christ. The body of Christ. He wants us to realize tonight as we've gathered here that we're not just some kind of random gathering of people, but rather we're the divine body of Christ as God's people. You are as you make up this church. There are 7,957 verses in the New Testament and only 32 references in the, in the Bible about the church being the body of Christ. Two of those are in Romans, 18 of them in 1 Corinthians, 8 in Ephesians, and 4 in Colossians. Now what happens when some phenomena like that occurs? What happens is something that I call the law of inversion. The least that is said about something, the more we want to pile on. The least something is said in the Bible, the more we think that somehow we've got to dig in and and come up with some kind of idea that may not even be taught in the Bible, but we're very curious about it. Somebody said that, that he had studied the thorn in the flesh and found out that there were 150 different ideas about what it was. Well, you know what it was? Neither do I. I have an idea, but I do not know what it was because we're not, we're not t- told about that. So tonight I want to take these limited verses and make a search, if we might, tonight for... What the Bible says. Would you agree with that's more what's really important? What does the Bible say? And there are, there are good men who have influential ministries uh, in our communities and in our nation and even around the world who are very confused about what the body of Christ is. They really are. And it's amazing to me that they cannot see the obvious. Hopefully tonight... I'll be able to help you as God has helped me to more clearly understand what is involved here. I want to begin by saying that uh, there are a lot of misunderstandings about the body of Christ. Many misunderstandings. Very few people have a full understanding or even somewhat of a partial understanding of that. And so let's talk about some misunderstandings. 
I think first of all that there are people who misunderstand the nature of the body of Christ. What is the, the body of Christ? Who makes up the body of Christ? Well, if you listen to the radio and if you listen to the television and even if you read some uh, well-known commentators of the Bible, you will find out that many of them believe that it is made up of all believers. The body of Christ is made up of all believers. Now, uh, that has been changed to some degree, and I'll mention that a little bit later, but let's just keep that thought in mind, that a lot of people believe that the body of Christ is made up of every believer worldwide. Now, this, is, this belief is misunderstanding has been substantiated by many different people. Here is a picture of Lewis Sperry Schaefer, who was the founding first president of Dallas Theological Seminary in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, he wrote a systematic theology and on the section of ecclesiology, which is uh, 263 pages long, of ecclesiology, listen, he wrote only 10 pages on the gathered church. By and large, he wrote mainly about what he thought was the true church. If you ever had a Schofield Bible, I started preaching with a Schofield Bible, and that Schofield Bible said that the true church was made up of all believers which were the body of Christ. Look at what Dr. Schaefer says, the true church is not divided, nor could be, yet the visible church is... I, I, I even hate to read this. I really hate to read it, but you need to hear it. Yet the visible church is a broken and shattered attempt at the manifestation of the scriptural ideal, the visible church. As such is charged with no mission... The commission to evangelize the world is personal, not corporate. I think I'm going to start a college or a seminary and be the president so I can correct some of this nonsense. I can't believe that someone who, is, who wrote and studied and researched would not have a better understanding about what the New Testament church is. Well, it didn't get any better even later on when Charles Ryrie, who is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and Dr. Ryrie's got a great study Bible. There's many things he's organized well for us to understand a little bit better, but here's what he says. The universal church to which every true believer belongs, regardless of local church affiliation. It is a spiritual organism entered by means of the baptism of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you just read that. Christ is the risen head of the church and its members are subject to Him. He uses another verse, Ephesians 5, 24. And now here's, here's a statement. If I didn't have a sense of humor right now, I'd bust out laughing. And I do have a sense of humor, so I think I'll take a laughter break here. Local churches should be miniatures of the body of Christ, though it's possible to have unbelievers in local churches who are not therefore members of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not surprised that Protestants like Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Ryrie would hold to a Protestant viewpoint of the church. What embarrasses me is that Baptists don't know any better. They believe that there is a body of Christ, universal, invisible, in which all believers are members are part of. Now you just read in your hearing this verse. By the way, I've quoted somebody a little bit better than Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Ryrie. I'm going to talk about St. Paul. <laughs> he said to this, Church in Corinth baptized believers making up that congregation. He said this, Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. He didn't say you were a miniature. 
He didn't say you were a representation of. He said you are the body of Christ. Now, there's a lot better and more consistent theological term to use in the place of a universal invisible church, and that is that people who are saved become a part of the family of God. That is, when they're born again, Jesus is their Savior, God is their Heavenly Father. We make up a grand family of believers. And Ephesians 3 says some of those in the family are already in heaven and others are on the earth. That's why I can be decent and respectful and and, uh, engage other people who are not Baptists because if they're saved, they are in the family of God. Here's what one website stated. I I love this, and I'll continue to press this issue a little bit just to show you how incongruent these statements are. He said, each individual congregation is autonomous. Is that a truthful statement? It is. Yet part of the larger body of Christ, which is not a true statement, with many expressions and locations. Isn't it amazing that the autonomous church which means self-governing, has expressions in other places. I I can't follow this too much. I I did go to school. I must have missed that day. Here it is. goes on. Believers achieve oneness in Christ that transcends all human limitations, including the differences that exist between denominations. Now, there's a Greek word for that, and that's baloney. That is a bunch of hogwash. That is so goofy, you can't even retain rational thoughts about that. How can God be pleased with church denominations which have such differing and contradictory doctrine? God is not the author of confusion. Now, everybody can be wrong, but everybody can't be right. Contradictory doctrine cannot be the same as true doctrine or true teaching. And so there's a misunderstanding of the nature of the body of Christ. Secondly, I think there's also a misunderstanding about the head of the body of Christ. Now, we believe in the headship of Christ. We actually do. And quite often, it is represented that Jesus is the anatomical head of a church. Have you ever heard a guy, somebody say, well, you know, Jesus is like the brains, and he tells the rest of the body what to do, and and the impulses of the body follow the, the, or follow the direction of the mind, the brain. And they try to go into this great detail. I, Tony, Tony Evans in his book uh, goes, goes into that kind of anatomical illustration of the headship of Christ. You know, there's a real flaw with that. I don't know of a head that's alive that is separated from the body that's alive. If you separate your head from your body, you're dead. May I tell you this? Jesus' life is not not, uh, subject to whether we are alive or not. He's alive whether we're alive or not. And so when when you use the anatomical concept that we we are joined to Christ and He is our like an anatomical head, we we have a little breakdown. Now, Now let me take a pause here a moment. When we are saved, we are brought out of Adam's life into Christ's life. There is a union that we have with Christ in a spiritual nature that's, that's beyond even what we have represented in church life. We come out of darkness and we come into light. We, we move out of death and we move into life. We're transformed out of one kingdom into another kingdom. We're brought into union with Christ. And now 
We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And that's apart from any church affiliation. Any believer is brought into union with Christ. But here's a better understanding. I'm sure you've heard it. I'm sure your pastor has uh, taught you this. But uh, there is a, a much better concept of headship and that is the authoritative head. You see, they stumble over the fact that there can be only one church over which Christ can be the head because they have an anatomical uh, metaphor. But we have an authoritative metaphor, which is Christ can be over not only one church, but he can be over many churches because he's the authority. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And so we have an authoritative head. Now this concept is not not something that's real distance. For example, uh, Sam Walden was the head of Walmart when he was alive. Let's say amen for Walmart. All you women, thank God you go there. I'm telling you, I go there about two or four times a year just to find out what fashion is in, right? Right. Unbelievable. I don't, don't get me distracted. I don't know how old people get distracted real easy. Don't do that. But Sam Walden was the head of, was the head of Walmart when he was alive. Conrad Hilton was the head of the Hilton uh, hotel chain. Henry Ford was the head of Ford Corporation when he was alive. And the the idea of that concept is, is a true representation of Christ being over the church. He's over the church. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that I, I don't have to call up some distant headquarters and find out what they need to be going on in the churches that I've pastored because not only does God give the church uh, an under-shepherd to guide you, He is Lord over the church. And that's a great thing. And so I think that that would maybe help you. And if I I don't really want to take time, but if you want to mark verse 3 of this same uh, 11th chapter right across the page of it, It'll help you to know headship as well because that while Christ was on the earth, God was his head and the head of every woman is a man. And uh, don't, don't uh, I, I just hate to say this, but guys, you better realize that your wife's got a brain without you, but you are authoritatively her head, not an anatomical brainless woman all the women said hey man that's good preaching preacher <laughs> so you, you see what I'm saying how misunderstood that is quite often I think that will help some people a little bit and then a third level of misunderstanding is uh, how you get in the body of Christ I, that's what I really want to talk about because that's generally the gist of a lot of Bible teachers and uh, many of them believe that, that excuse me, let me go back, that many of them believe that uh, all believers are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, which they believe is a universal, invisible something that they have never seen or been a part of other than what they have t- taught. And so there's a there's a misunderstanding about that. Now let me, let me go on here into this one right here. Let me, let's just look in verse 13. This is the misquoted verse or the misused verse. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now somehow they go back to to Acts chapter 2 and teach that that's the birthday of the church. We've already found out Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. 
He didn't consign that to the Holy Spirit after he had left earth. He, he built his church and uh, organized that uh, while he was on this earth. And so evidently that was not, this would not be appropriate to say that the Spirit is the one who actually started the church on the day of Pentecost. What does it mean by one spirit? What, time out. What would the people reading this for the first time think about? They never had a seminar, never had a preacher come in, preach on the church. They just remember Paul teaching them about what church was and what they were. This is the first letter, so he's not kind of repeating himself or correcting anything other than the fact that he's trying to help them understand where they're to really engage their spiritual gifts. So how would they have understood it? Well, I think it's very apparent to me that that very first phrase for by one spirit, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how all of salvation begins. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. No one comes to God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit to draw them, to let them understand truth. And once upon, uh, uh, by faith, they receive Christ, they're regenerated. And it's by one spirit. And that was common to all of them. People are saved one way. And it's by the work of the spirit. By one spirit were, you all, were we all baptized. What kind of baptism is would they have thought about? Well, they would have thought about their physical water baptism that was done by the church or by the leaders of the church by somebody else other than Paul. Paul didn't do a lot of baptizing, he says in the first chapter. But everybody gets into a church by water baptism. You can't be a member of a church that's a scriptural church without being water baptized. Now, now, I'm saying water baptized like there might be milk baptized or, or Dr. Pepper baptized. Or, and you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to be as sim simple and, and easy to understand as I possibly can. But folks, the Bible teaches those that gladly received His word were baptized and the same day they were added unto them, these that believed. So... So they would have understood, hey, yeah, don't you remember being baptized? How many, how many remember being baptized real, real, real clearly? Do you remember that? Yeah. I, I told you the other day I got saved within 15 minutes of being saved. I was, I was a Baptist. I was a 10-year-old Baptist. I didn't know a lot, just like a lot of uh, Baptists didn't. But, man, that's great, man. I remember being baptized. I can tell you about it. I remember what happened and who was there so by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. Now what did we read about a while ago in 1 Corinthians 12, 27? Ye are the body of Christ. They would have been thinking about their church. They would have been saying, you know what, what we were baptized into? We were baptized into the fellowship and membership of our church, the body of Christ in Corinth. Are you with me tonight? Don't be tired. I've, I've got a little bit more to do here. Just want to make sure you keep up with me. And, and then what's that phrase, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, whether we, we've been all made to drink into one spirit. I think that just simply talks about the equality and the diversity that churches have. We're not to be a single stripe kind of church. We ought to represent the communities of which we are a part of. And while some people have been here longer than others, we're not working on that kind of scale in church. The most recent believer has the same credibility as somebody that's been in the church 50 years. Now, hopefully, the guy that's been there 50 years knows a little more and has helped a little more, but don't put those on a lower level who've just recently been saved. It's almost like we've got some kind of merit-based deal in churches to where people are more respected if they've been in the church longer. And I thank God for you serving the Lord and all of that. But Paul says, listen, when, he, when we opened up the church here, it was Jews and Gentiles and it was bond and free. And 
And uh, when it all came to the end, we, we, were, all, we were all participating uh, in, in the same spiritual matter. Uh, let me take a break here and go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, and you can kind of mark your Bible in there if you do that. 1 Corinthians 4.17, before we go too much further. Paul said uh, in this same letter to the same people, For this cause have I sent you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, notice, as I teach everywhere in every church. And he says the same thing basically in chapter 7 in verse 17. And the, he says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, so ordain I in all churches. Paul did not custom make a way of doing church from city to city. He said, Wherever I went, I did the same thing. I preached the gospel. I baptized believers, and those baptized believers constituted a New Testament church. Now, we've, we've made it a lot more formal than that, haven't we, Pastor? We, we have a lot, lot more details involved in that. One of the things that I was really surprised, can I have a conversation with the pastor here? Uh, one thing that I found really interesting is I found no way in the New Testament that we're guided about how you constitute a church. There's no passage that says this is how you, you just see Paul going into to a city and preaching the gospel and baptizing those that believe. And then before you know it, what you see there is next time you're, he's writing back to him and says the church at Philippi. We, we've made it real, really a lot more complex. Uh, and churches in the New Testament were as small as could meet in a house. So... Uh, I'm just saying, folks, that if we could get this verse right in our lives, we could chase the average universal church guy out the door. Because they're misusing this scripture, and it may be a simple misunderstanding, but it's hard to believe that they don't know that this could not be contextually what that verse says. This is a verse to a church a local body of believers who had been saved and baptized, this is the message to them. Not to some kind of universal, invisible something. Well, I'm glad to get that misunderstanding all straightened up. Let's talk about the members now. Let's talk about the members of the body of Christ. As a believer... I have had several blessings in my life. I, I was blessed to be saved, obviously. Well, blessed to be raised up by uh, my mom and dad. And my dad was the pastor. My mom was the piano player and the organist and, and uh, Bible teachers and had preachers coming through our home all the time, just sitting at our table laughing and talking about the Bible. I... I just I have a great heritage of being raised up by Christian people who are Baptist. And uh, that had an influence on my life when I was 10 years old. We got any 10-year-old kids in here right here? Hold your hand up real quick. If you're 10 years old, anybody? You're afraid? Okay, we got one back here. Now, some of you don't know your age. By the time you leave, be sure to know that, okay? I got saved when I was 10 years old, baptized the same night. That was such a blessing. My wife was raised up in our church. Her family didn't attend church. She walked a block down to the church. She was saved, baptized, raised up in the church, godly, beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, if my choice is if you can get a good-looking one, just get one of them too. Now, I mean, if she's godly, that's great, but if she's good-looking, it's over the top. You know what I'm saying? It's like that cherry on the top of that banana split. Man, she was good-looking, and, and God gave her to me. Along the way, I've looked at all the blessings in life, being raised in a Christian home, being saved, having a Christian wife, raising 
children. I tell you, one of the biggest blessings being part of the church. I wouldn't know how to behave myself. What would we do if we weren't raising our family in church? What would you do with your time if you devote any time at all to come into church? God's placed you here as a member of this body of Christ. That's such a blessing. Don't take, don't take that for granted. And if you do take it for granted, go visit somebody that can't be here that want to be here. Just go visit some of them. Their heart's broken. I, I just, my, my heart was broken over and over again by people who said, Preacher, I want to be there. And I said, would you, would you somehow get a big stick and we'll get you in your wheelchair and I want you to beat up several people today. Because they're, they're, they're just dragging their feet and coming when they want to. and My, what a blessing it is to be a member of the body of Christ where you are. And I mean that sincerely. So let's talk about it a little bit. You're the body of Christ and members in particular. Of those uh, 7,957 New Testament verses, there are only 19 references to the term member. In the Bible. Here, we, here again we've got this inversion deal going on. To where we have to talk about something that really is not talked about very much in the Bible. But there's plenty here for us to understand what we need to do. Let me get my Bible here. I'm going to need that right now. And uh, let, me, let me say this before I get, get into the list here. You can't, you can't be involved in God's full sanctification of your life after you're saved apart from the church. You can't walk with Christ without a church. You can't. You can try. You can do the best you can, but you can't do it God's way if you leave the church out. You've got the Word of God, thank God for that. You've got the Spirit of God, thank God for that. And you've got the church of God, and those means are, are, are God's way of sanctifying our life until we get to heaven. You can't do it unless you ignore the church. So here we go. Let's look at what, uh, what God's got in mind for you as a member of the body of Christ. First of all, it's sort of our identity. It's, it's a mark of identity. I don't know which appendage of your body you don't really think you want or to keep or something. But uh, I would suggest that every member is important and should, should maintain some sense of identity to this church. I'm amazed at people that say, well, I just can't seem to fit in down there. Really? God's put you in the church, and he did. The Bible says here that it's pleased God to put you where you're at. This should be a, a, some sense of our identity. People struggle with identity today. Well, we are members of the body of Christ. And then also, this passage speaks about unity. You can't read all these verses without realizing a physical body, just like a spiritual body, has to operate in some sense of unity. Now, I don't believe this means union. I don't believe this means unison. I believe it means spiritual unity. Everybody doesn't have to be like, look around and look how different people are. Look around, you're free to. Look around. Yeah, that's kind of my impression sometimes too. Wow. Isn't it amazing what God does? He puts different people in our, in our congregations. And, and yet he brings us close together. Right now I have two brothers, I have two older brothers. I have one that just turned 77, another one that turned 79 last April. And uh, we love each other, we don't talk to each other very often. I know that that may sound bad to you, but if, if I needed money or needed help or needed to talk about something, they'd be willing to do it. But you know who I'm closer to? People in the church. I don't mean that, that's not a bad rep on my brother's. Really not a bad rep on me. I spend more time with the Lord's people than I do with uh, my own family. I got a call one Monday morning early from my brother, my next oldest brother. And he said, uh, Jerry, daddy's dying. 
I said, well, David, I can't be there. I'm preaching a funeral for a stranger today. I really honored my dad that day because he preached probably about 500 funerals during his ministry in Lake Worth. He preached all kinds of funerals. And as it were, I, I did not make it in time for my dad's departure uh, because I was uh, doing ministry. I, I didn't really feel bad about that. I felt like I honored him. Sometimes you do things for people that aren't even your family. But the closest people I've got church people. I got a guy, LD and Carol, they just spent a couple of months in Colorado. And I've checked on them. I've called to make sure they're okay up there. And uh, they're just friends of ours. Biggest problem in churches is if you're not, if you're, if you don't have friends, there's a verse in the Bible. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. Guess who's the problem? Yeah. There's a sense of unity and how 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 wonderful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This passage is about, it's about diversity. It talks about a hand, it talks about a foot, it talks about a Eye talks about ears, you know, and uh, all kinds of things. And we're all different, but diverse. The churches that I go to have, usually I, I don't go to bad churches. I just tr try to, you know, make sure and pray hard and do what I need to do. But a lot of churches I hear about want to have all their people be the same. You, you know, if... If it's up to me and you, whether we get to stay in the church, you know, about diversity, I'm voting on me to stay, and you got to leave, okay? Because if I don't like what you do, then I'm going to make a big big mess of it, going to have a big fight about it, try to get you out the door. But what God's people need to realize, God puts diversity in the church. And He does it to be a blessing to you. My I remember the $3 piano lessons that I took from Sister Bonner. That was the worst money my mom and dad ever spent. Now, I can sing. I've been singing since I was three years old. We had a family trio, and we auditioned for the Ted Mack Amateur Hour. You remember that back, way back there? Come on, some of you old codgers remember that. Don't be offended by codger. You represent it. Or, I mean, rep, yeah, whatever. We we got we got called back on a we got called back on a second audition and that's kind of like the American Idol of today. My older brother still says, "Jerry, if you'd been better, we could have gone on." I said, "This it was me that got him into the second audition." But I've been singing church with church music, my mama playing. That's how we survived in the back seat of my dad going preaching revivals. We'd roll the windows down, mama'd throw a pitch to us, and we'd start singing and. We learned songs by memory and would sing up in front of the church from the time that I was three years old. Brother was five, my other brother was seven. A lot of diversity. Now, I love my brothers, but I sure like a lot of other people as well. There's also dependency in this body. We depend on each other. We need to make ourselves available to people in the church. There's something you can do for somebody else in the church. We should not expect people outside the church to do what we can do inside the church. And so you need to do that. Sometimes that's done through a Sunday school class. We try to break it down in small groups so we can handle that kind of management situation. But there is a sense of dependency that we have one on the other, and that's not bad. Now, one thing that's about old people, and I know, I know who old people are because I am one. We get to this age and we've done everything for ourselves all this time and it's hard for us to let somebody else do something for us. So let me just tell you that it's okay for somebody else to do something for you because God put you in the church for people to be a blessing to you. And if they can do something for you, then that's what God wants you to do in your own life as well. There's also to be harmony, and no schism in the body. You know how hard that is for fallen people, for Adam's race? That's hard. 
And we've got to do that. We've got to do it as families individually outside the church. And then we need to make sure that we're getting along as well as we can. Now, there are some people who are brain damaged. We know that. I mean, they are people. And, and just walking in a building and getting saved doesn't change their uh, makeup. Some of them are troublemakers. Some of them are just dysfunctional and however many other adjectives I can say. And, and I... And everybody's going, mm, ting, 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 mm, yeah, that one, that one, that one, yeah. Well, got to be harmony, though. You got to find your part, do your part, and quit being judgmental about other people who don't do their part like you do your part. Real harmony. That's kind of what real good music is. It's, it's harmony. One verse in this passage that destroys universal church concept is in chapter 12 and verse number 26. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one, one member be honored, all rejoice with it. You know, that's not happened. That can't happen beyond the local church. Right now, everything's pretty good in the church where I'm a member now. I'm not the pastor now. But throughout the course of the years, I've wept over people who've lost loved ones and babies. and I just can't tell you the kind of grief that has just overwhelmed me from time to time. Other babies have died, but they didn't do that to me. Other people have died. Other people have been in car accidents and have had cancer. But I tell you, it ought to do something to our churches. We ought to be able to suffer with them. There's some strength that's kind of transferred to other people when we share their grief. That can't happen outside of a local church. Not in, not in a corporate sense. It's, it's got to... It's got to be a local church setting. And then when one is honored, we all rejoice with it. I'm so glad to see some of the young people here. This was a great little ladies' choir right here. I heard them a while ago. I thought, man, that is good stuff. Keep it up. And, and then, then there's about four old ugly boys right behind them over there that kind of messed it up a little bit. But I just thought about what kind of life is ahead of those young people over there. I got great hope for them. I'm not down on them. I'm not down on America. I'm not down on the end of time. I believe if God's people in God's churches will raise their family right, they'll still have a good family. Don't, don't throw despair on all these young people. That, this is the only life they know. And I'm going to rejoice. And I know you will too. Matter of fact, people rejoiced when I graduated high school. They thought we thought it never happened. And they, they didn't know how hard I had to work at it to graduate. I'll tell you a little story and then I'll be through. Uh, my algebra teacher told me, Jerry, uh, you're failing algebra and you're not going to graduate without passing algebra. I said, man, that's a bummer. Two weeks from the end of school. I, I at least lasted through the playoffs in baseball. We won the regional state championship. So I thought, okay, I went home and I didn't pray. I, and I wasn't too spiritual then. I know that I am now. So I went back to the teacher next couple of days. I said, you got two choices. Either you fail me and I'm back next year or you pass me and I'm out of here. I graduated high school. Sure did. Enrolled in college. Stupidest class I ever signed up for was algebra. I made two weeks in algebra college. I never, and don't try to explain to me why A and B has to be one and two. Why don't you just talk in numbers? I, I'm a great general math guy. I got a lot of hope for these people, and I tell you what we need to do is you need to you need to honor these kids and and not put them on some kind of Bum trail that it's not going to work out. Got all these young people that are five years ago, they were just like them. It's okay. We need to honor 
and rejoice. And then the whole point of you being a member is to finally grow up. Maturity. That's what Ephesians says. We're all to to be in the church under the ministry of a pastor so that we can uh, grow up to the stature of Christ. Let Let me give you three quick things about a ministry of the body of Christ. And number one, we are here inwardly to be edified. You're to come into the body of Christ together with God's people on the Lord's Day, on Lord's Day night, on Wednesday night, any other time you gather, so that you can be built up, so that you can put on some spiritual muscle in your life. And then secondly, we're to go out and evangelize people as the body of Christ. We're to, we're to be members of this body, reaching out to others that we can bring into this body of Christ in evangelism. And then thirdly, we're here to reach upward for the glorification of God. <clears throat> I'm persuaded that if we can get church right and get members in the church right about the church, we can move forward at a speed that we couldn't believe and we can reach out to people and reach them like we never believed because not only are sometimes we the problem, we the answer. We're the answer. And our zeal and our our passion about God ought to be so evident that people are drawn to us and they say, what's up with you, man? Why do you have hope in this hopeless hour? And we need to give them an answer. Maybe that guy that's coming by to fix your dry, your washing machine next week. Or maybe uh, that lady that's going to come by and, and visit with you about something else. Maybe somebody you're going to talk to on the phone. You could just bring up a spiritual conversation about your passion for God. And His Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Make a big difference. Make a big difference. Stand up together, please, will you? Thank you. Whether we eat or whether we drink, and whatever we do, we are to do it for your glory. And so tonight, Father, it's my prayer that we would um, understand a little bit better about why you put us in this place, why you put this, this body of believers here. And give them an intense desire to know you in such a way that they are transformed and they are growing and they are dynamic. And that you will use them to reach others for your honor and glory. I thank you for showing us the truth and help us to treasure it, store it, share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.